Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Poolside with Pokestarter episode where we come together to share knowledge and experiences with the community from all the top Web3 projects in the space in a very informal and conversational way. As always, we're really excited about the guests that we have on. I think this one's going to be a really interesting conversation because there are so many different layers to the topics we're going to cover today. So I'm, I'm really personally stoked. Uh, but before I introduce you to our special guest, I just want to remind everyone that, as always, for the lucky early few of you that managed to get your hands on our oats for the episode, you can wait until the end of the episode where we'll give you the secret code and then you can proceed to claim it from the pinned tweet. With that out of the way, John, welcome to the episode. Thanks for having me. Before, I, 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 I have an intro. I don't like doing them because I feel like I never do the guest justice. So I want you to start off by just telling me a bit more about what Treasure DAO is. But maybe before we do that, let's let's talk about John Patton himself, right? The co-founder, innovation lead of Treasure DAO. Uh, tell me a bit more about yourself and then we'll, we'll dive in. Um, yeah, I uh, co-founded Treasure last fall um, with someone named uh, Garp. Um, and I've worked in crypto for the um, last couple of years um, full-time. I work um, at Osmosis, which is a Cosmos-based AMM. I work on um, NFTs there. And um, before this, I was just a um, writer in DeFi for a few years and a trader. Um, yeah, but now in, now in NFTs in the metaverse. <laughs> nice. So then with that, with that uh, intro, I think uh, it's, it's key to understand what is Treasure now, because there's so many things, I think, to uncover in today's episode. So I want to start off by maybe just give me a quick intro about what Treasure is and what is Treasure DAO and what's the universe all about. Yeah, so um, Treasure is a decentralized network of uh, games and communities built around a single token. Um, so the easiest way to think about it would be if there's um, a game that um, someone builds and then they create a token for it, similar to an arcade token. Um, we wanted to do the opposite, where we wanted to create a token where a large number of communities could um, come together and write a story around it and build games and narratives around the emissions of it. So we started with um, the token as a way to build a community. And um, the idea is that most, um, most games and metaverses, they really struggle um, to reach a point of either liquidity or adoption where the token model is sustainable. And um, if we used a single token to anchor an entire ecosystem, then um, it would function like a video game console where, you know, particular titles or, you know, cartridges, you can think of them as. Um, some of them will outright fail. They'll become outdated. Um, but the publisher itself continues. And um, that's what Treasure is. We're building um, a large decentralized network um, using our magic token. And magic functions in a lot of ways in the ecosystem, primarily through the marketplace where um, things are transacted, game items and characters are transacted in this magic token. And then we take royalties in that and distribute them um, not to ourselves, but to new builders to bring in new projects um, so that they can start distributing magic to their players. The team can have some skin in the game and um, feel like they own this ecosystem along with the community. And um, yeah, so magic is um, it's an infrastructure token. And so far as, you know, we're starting with the marketplace, but we're now building out a lot more DeFi tooling. 
that we want other game builders to be able to use. Um, but it's also, you know, the thing that sits underneath all these worlds in that when you play the game, um, the world you're inside is powered by magic. I love the sound of that. I think that's genius marketing there. Um, let me start maybe from the you know builder's perspective. So in terms of like helping and providing tools for uh, people that are building, essentially, how does that look like for me? For example, if I'm a you know game dev or if I'm a developer in general that's looking to launch something uh, using your tech, what does that look like for me? Yeah, so um, it's really simple right now. And just um, to give some context like to the viewers, um, we're still younger than a year old and we launched as a fair launch freemint project um last fall we just gave away initially they were it was a loot derivative so we gave away nfts that looked like um loot cards but with treasures on them um and then we did the magic token and we also distributed that for free um along with all of our nfts um legions and small brains so we've just been really busy building the last year we've built a marketplace on arbitrum um it's done over 300 million in volume. Um, the magic token has done over a billion dollars in volume. And um, we've just been focused on creating our core um, intellectual property, so to speak. We're CC zero, which means that anyone can can use these things because we really want the community to build the metaverse with us and make it a, a large story. But So over the last year, we've just been focused on building out the infrastructure, so, sort of like our core games um, and you know, uh, franchises, if you will. And now we're focused on integrating more. So if you're a game builder, um, like the beacon or Knights of the ether, and these are like, I'm just naming, um, tales of Valyria. These are really good ones that are an ecosystem right now. The, the principal advantage for you right now is that you can join a much larger community and, um, joining treasure, like building quote unquote on top of treasure starts with integrating the magic token in some meaningful way into the game or meta metaverse you're producing. Um, so, you know, the players interact with it. Um, even if it's not a game and it's just a metaverse, then the world is, um, you know, uh, centered around it in the way our world is centered around um, resources and capital also. It's organized around it. Um, so you can use these economic resources as a way to link into the larger story. And then from there, you can be listed on our marketplace alongside all these other projects. So Treasure sort of, um, you know, uh, we have incredibly viral and strong community that's the um that's the reason for our success was the number of people who responded to this narrative of building the metaverse together and they were really vocal and also just you know builders themselves a lot of people in the community so the advantage to someone else is you build a game for two or three years you're not sure it's going to have product market fit you could fall flat on your face um, and, you know, in the traditional gaming world, you go and you find a video game publisher to make sure that you can have PMF, have a community and that um, you'll get some recognition or um, but in Web3, we didn't want to recreate just the walled garden of like a video game publisher that kind of exploits the, the artists and the creators through unfair royalties and revenues. Um, you know, you keep your um, you keep half of your revenue and the marketplace and the other half goes to the DAO, not, not us or a company. There is no company. It's just, it's just the community governed by tokens. So you can come in with your product, join this very large and um, growing community and just quickly become integrated. And in the future, the advantage will become uh, much more complex. We've scaled up from, you know, initially this, we were just volunteers. I, I started this with one friend and then, 
it was about a dozen of us volunteering for six months, but now it's a full-time team of um, 30 people. So what we can build is much more sophisticated. So moving forward, other builders, not only will be able to link in just using the magic token, they'll have a lot of um, tooling at the NFT level. So um, pre-made, um, yeah, like you can create NFTs similar to our standards and then there's very, very interesting things um, you can do there. So small brains is an NFT that we have. The way it works is um, a small brain, when you stake it, its IQ goes up and then its head gets larger. So it's being controlled by the school smart contract. We call it school. But um, in theory, you know, like lots of people from lots of worlds could link into the same school contract. Um, and it wouldn't be IQ, it could be power or um, some, some type of strength unique to their character. So now we can build decentralized MMORPGs where communities are opting into these um, on-chain game mechanisms because that's what treasure is. It's like at the deepest level, on-chain, there's this economy with specific loops um, that communities engage in and people can opt into them. So, you know, you'll be able to create your NFTs similar to ours um, that interact with ours. And then um, the one-year vision is that... Um, this will have been two years after launch is we'll have our own chain and um, it'll have extremely high throughput. And um, hopefully we're going to even permission the chain so that the DAO has to vote on which games go on there. So it could be, you know, even faster than Polygon um, and uh, virtually um, free to the user. Um, so builders will just be able to join what resembles a um, video game platform and publisher right off the bat. And, um, yeah, we can. Yeah, the organization supports their growth as being part of the ecosystem. I think you touched on a lot of really great points there, and I, I want to start kind of picking at each of them. But let me start with, I guess the the one that stands out the most to me, at least, which is the fact that this started obviously as a you know as a community project, right? Like this was just open source. Like let's let's get people in, let's build this with the community, and now it's a kind of transition yeah. into a full time team and still run it with the community. I, I I'm just wondering in terms of that transition um, and the challenges that obviously come with it, whether it's community governance, whether it's scaling issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, like, could you talk to us a bit more about that? Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of issues organizations face in crypto as they try and scale. Um, and I think that we're the largest um, true DAO in NFTs and probably one of the largest in crypto. I, that There's no LLC that holds our intellectual property. There are no revenue streams to either the team members or equity holders outside of the token. Everyone from the team to the community to um, the investors who did OTC deals to provide runway to the team are all receiving um, the same share of this organization based on their token. Um, so achieving decentralization at that scale is very, very hard. My co-founder, Garp, um, puts a lot of work along with our, um, we have an in-house economist, PETA. Um, we're moving away from this one token, one vote model, um, just because we saw in DeFi how this kind of results in plutocracy. And, um, you know, you end up just kind of atrophying as an organization if a person with great insights uh, doesn't have enough money to meaningfully contribute governance, um, they tend to just fall out. So not only is it just controlled by the wealthiest, but the wealthiest tend to be the most apathetic and um, you know least interested in innovation because they're just looking for passive yield for the most part. 
So we're really trying to avoid that. That's like a large scale problem that a lot of um, decentralized projects have um, dealt with as they scaled. And, and we deal with it um, even more so because there is no entity outside of the DAO. It's just the community running this project. But there's also like um, just a, you know, there's practical challenges. My co-founders in um, Australia, um, we've never met in real life. I had never met any of the team um, except the person I started it with because we knew each other from school, lived in the same town. I hadn't met any of these people until NFT NYC and we met in person. But, you know, we put blood, sweat and tears into this project. Um, so there's time zone problems. Um, communication is a, is a thing that we're very cognizant of. Like if you look across crypto, um, most successful teams tend to be uh, 10 people or less. And then when they get into the dozens, they start fossilizing. Um, they, I don't know why it happens. I just am now attuned to seeing this where, you know, when DeFi protocols got large enough to be kind of institutionalized, they stopped um, innovating um, last cycle. Um, they thought they had product market fit and were barreling down a path only to realize um, that they didn't. So I think um, we and like other DAOs that have observed this happening in crypto are, yeah, we're very cognizant of this and we use like frequent communication about our strategy, um, reading groups to see innovative things that are happening just to make sure that, you know, we had to professionalize at a certain point, but that can't come at the cost of being able to like nimbly and quickly adapt to changing industry trends where in this industry, you know, a game changing innovation that requires you to rework a lot of what you did happens on like a quarter or by quarterly basis. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely intriguing. And I mean, it does, it does make sense. And obviously, when you're still a small team, it's super agile. Obviously, as more people kind of get in, it becomes a bit harder. But I want to touch on a, another point that you kind of mentioned earlier in, in, in your answers, which was um, the migration to Arbitrum. I want to kind of maybe understand the logic behind that and, and why you decided to make that move. And what's the move been like ever since? Yeah, it, it's worked like a charm. Arbitrum is an amazing partner. Um, we meet with them regularly just to talk um, about, yeah, our project. Um, so any games looking to come, you know, not only will uh, Nova and these Nova chains be fantastic, but just the team itself um, is incredibly responsive and just amazing technologists. But we decided like um, soon after Arbitrum launched where um, it was a practical thing at first, and then we just discovered it was sort of a, a happy accident. But initially, you had these treasure cards, and it was um, eight treasures to a card, um, I believe. It's been so long now. Um, and you had to fractionalize them and then deposit them into our farm. And because we were um, fractionalizing them into 721s, every time you, um, you know, seven, 721s have unique token IDs. So transferring them um, creates, you have to do it as a separate transaction as opposed to 1155s, which is what we changed to when we got to Arbitrum. So initially, like, at that time, since it was in the middle of the bull run, this was just prohibitively expensive or extremely expensive for early community. Um, although this worked out really well. If people believed in the project and were willing um, to lose money on gas. Um, they made it back like 100 or 200 fold um, three or four months later. So I'm very happy for them. They just, that was like um, that was something like um, cosmic that was pretty beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased for that because we have a strong community. But 
it became clear like this isn't going to work. If we're going to build an on-chain game economy, it means lots of transactions are going to be occurring. So we have to get to an L2. And um, we moved to we moved to Arbitrum. And um, at that time, they were doing about like $800 a day in volume. And um, we got it up um, when our marketplace only had two collections on it, but we were doing 10% of OpenSea's um, volume on some days. We were the largest decentralized marketplace um, in the world ahead of Axie um, until LooksRare. And then um, we were number two behind LooksRare. Um, but yeah, so when we moved to Arbitrum, it was like, we need to, we need to give um, users the ability to really cheaply um, transact these items, like to barter, to, to um, new kinds of things. And we discovered this, what I think is just um, like the future of where NFTs are going. You know, we've been in this era now where we've kind of been trading them like baseball cards, where they're very unique, um, extremely non-fungible. But, um, you know, there is a version of NFTs that's a lot more fungible. And um, treasures being the best example of economic resources where if you have a honeycomb, I have a honeycomb, they're one-to-one. But that'll also be true for game skins. A lot of in-game assets will have um, really large supplies. They won't be speculative. They'll just be um, utility-based. And, you know, that's where the next, that's where the next boom in NFTs is going to happen, is these low-cost, high-velocity um, items. And we're building um, DeFi tooling around them and worlds around them. And we think like, you know, this will, um, I personally think that we're about to enter a phase of um, DeFi and NFTs colliding in a very real way where people realize, oh, a board ape, like there's no way you can build a lending protocol around that, um, both because the supply is too small and because um, the protocol doesn't own enough of its own liquidity to make sure that there's like a pool that can function as a reliable price feed. So that stuff like will probably just kind of um, spin off as novelty and then the rise of gaming assets where you can actually build liquidity pools around them. And then with reliable price feeds, you can have lending protocols on top of them. So much more sophisticated versions of Axie's um, uh, scholarship model. So that's when we went to Arbitrum, it was just a, we were a really small project. And as I mentioned, we were all volunteers and now we've discovered like, Oh, like, um, everyone is going to move to L2 for NFT trading within like three years. That just has to happen um, once L1 congestion reaches a certain point. And the way the NFT market is changing, like Treasure is building the infrastructure that like all of the successful high volume projects will be using. Um, so yeah, it was definitely an accident, but we're extremely confident in, in our model right now. Nice. I'm glad things worked out for the best then. Um, accidents are usually surprisingly uh, sometimes a lot better than you expect. You talked about the economics part. And so I want to kind of touch on Bridge World because that yeah. is essentially the base economy layer for the entire ecosystem, right? So could you walk us through that a bit more? Yeah, so Bridge World is where um, it all started. You know, when we were a loot derivative, we were really hoping that loot was going to um, pick us up as their economy, like these are the economic resources. And they went a different direction. They picked A-Gold. And so um, we had these token holders, NFT holders, and we were like, well, crap, we got to build a world around this. But the idea at the beginning when people farm magic was that, hey, like a lot of communities can come together and build a, a world around a single token. And that's like how worlds will interact is through um, resource struggles. 
and trading rather than um, just purely through narrative. So um, the goal was to start building proof of concept metaverses to just demonstrate, hey, this is how you use magic and here's how you can connect multiple worlds to, through it. And so Bridge World was the first one we created with these characters called Legions. So Legions initially, um, if you um, were a liquidity provider for magic, you could earn one. And then we built sort of like basic game loops around. So Legions could go out, um, discover treasures, um, craft them and summon new Legions. But they were doing all these things just to acquire more magic. Um, and now we've moved into this new phase um, called Harvesters. And before, if it was sort of a single player loop, um, I have my Legion, I'm trying to upgrade it and just trying to earn more magic and treasures. Um, now it's a game of social coordination where you have to create these harvester parts and then um, latch them onto these um, machines, which are technically staking pools, but they're way too large for any single individual to make. Um, so a group of people, um, guilds, have to build these harvesters. And then it's um, as, they, as they add their um, assets to this, it can increase the extractive power of the harvester to earn more magic. Um, and beyond that, um, it's not just pay to win. Um, you know, we wanted to make a metaverse where the community is actually inventing this. They invent the story. And um, it's just much more fair than decentralized finance, which ended up being, as I mentioned, just the wealthiest person um, wins. So you can't just go to a staking pool or a harvester and just monopolize it. You have to actively maintain it um, because these parts will um, degrade over time. And um, yeah, we're just now taking this. And the, the, there are like two, two ways to think about this. The first is that you know, we are trying to build an on-chain economy with like lots of game mechanisms that little games can sprout off of. So it's a world unto itself and it'll get more and more complex where um, soon you'll, you'll be able to, um, to um, harvest corruption points that you can actually um, levy against other people's harvesters. And then it turns into a game of, you know, other PFP communities or NFT communities across crypto can come and challenge a particular harvester. And then for a period of time, um, they own the harvester and can start extracting magic. And we started doing this initially um, with the goal of being like, okay, we need to, if we really want this to be a cross metaverse game economy, then magic has to circulate more across these worlds. And one way to do that is to create these um, sites of conflict. Um, but then what this, um, you know, we've just been um, as the team just thinking through like, okay, how do we use these mechanisms? And the kind of um, amazing thing that, um, the product lead for Bridgeworld, the economist came up with was, you know, okay, so these harvesters, they, Bridgeworld itself doesn't actually have to be a game. We've just created the format for a tournament of games. And what that means is that each harvester, um, you could think of um, as the competition between two groups, two guilds, or uh, maybe even more. And they could be fighting over particular games. So if someone else makes a game in Web3 um, that's really successful and has... Um, uh, good social coordination aspect, then we could just plug that in to a harvester and then their players can start earning magic through it and their builders are aligned with our ecosystem. So it just becomes a cradle or like a video game console that other games um, can be put into. And, um, you know, we're working now with initial ecosystem partners to see who's a good fit for this and just kind of slowly test it out. And um, yeah, over time, what this allows us to do is that Imagine if there's 30 harvesters and there's 30 games 
going on across the ecosystem. Um, some of those will be very successful and so that we can just divert more and more magic to that. Some of them will be unsuccessful or fade away, um, as I mentioned earlier. So we simply just um, remove those from the rotation and slowly retire them um, in the least um, negative impact to the community. But that allows Treasure just to continue testing out what kind of organization do we want to be? What games do we think are most successful? Whereas every other project in crypto is just barreling ahead. And if they're wrong about their game being any good, their project is dead. Whereas, you know, we're immune to that because we're an ecosystem of builders and, um, yeah, community members who are just testing things out. I think since you mentioned the point about different community members testing things out and building, I want to ask you maybe specifically about some of the projects um, that excite you that are in the treasure ecosystem at the moment. Yeah, so um, the beacon is one that was looking at Avalanche. And um, for those who haven't seen this, um, you have to go just check out um, the trailer. This is like a single player um, focused loop, but this will be high fidelity. Um, it's a game they've been working on for years. And um, I think it's just going to cross the chasm where um, traditional gamers are going to realize, oh, wow, this is amazing. Like this, is, this isn't just a point and click syncing game, but um, it demonstrates all the best part of Web3 of interoperability, of treasures, um, you know, the ability to own your game assets and um, take the work you've produced in this world and sell it. Um, and then there's other games that are popping up in the community. Um, Tales of Valyria is another one that was looking for um, a blockchain and then their community, I think, voted or like strongly suggested to come to Treasure. But this is like a, um, um, this is a really neat one. Um, the, the, the quality is fantastic. And so is the storytelling. I um, also recommend that people check out um, Knights of the Ether, um, which is a Slay the Spire um, sort of game. Um, oh, my memory gets worse and worse the older I get. Um, um, yeah, these are the big ones right now. Realm, uh, sorry, is another one in the ecosystem. So this one was like one of the first partners. And right now we have 50 plus projects that have been built by the um, community. Um, Realm is, is um, one, of the, uh, one of the most amazing ones just in terms of like the storytelling in the game and also interoperability where they're finding ways for their community to build harvesters and um, build um, what they call magic refineries to start earning more. So, so those are like the highlights right now. And, and as I mentioned, we haven't even existed as an organization for a full year. And so the community has built all of this. And then on the treasure side, um, you know, Bridge World, we're conceiving these days less of as a, as a game, as more of just an on-chain world that supports lots of different games. But um, we had a really successful year um, volume-wise where we recouped a lot of our native token through the match, uh, through the marketplace that we were able to divest. And we're actually standing up um, an in-house game studio right now. So we're working with a DAO called Strider. Um, they all have two decades um, or more of experience at like EA and um, Riot. And um, they're um, finding developers that are leaving traditional gaming, um, having built AAA games. Um, and they're going to come to Treasure to build our first title, which will be called Smallville. And this will be um, a lighthearted um, sandbox game similar to Stardew Valley. Um, yeah, and that'll be the first of the games that we build um, with these developers. Um, and as we earn more revenue um, through our games, we will continue to invest into building the studio so that hopefully um, 
you know, if we're talking um, when we talk a year from now, there's dozens of people um, working on games inside the DAO. Definitely tons of exciting ones. I mean, we, we tried pinning as many as we can on the on the space as well, but uh, highly suggest that you guys check out the rest of the titles mentioned. Um, since you mentioned, I think it was, I can't quite remember which of the games, but you mentioned one of them had the community vote on moving to Treasure. And so I wanted to kind of ask you directly in terms of like some of the proposals that you've seen uh, Treasure DAO's community essentially voting on. Um, could you maybe shed light on one or two, maybe the ones that stand out to you? And in terms of like the challenges, because, you know, the DAO topic is a really hot topic and a lot of people are for, a lot are against. And so I want to kind of maybe get um, your perspective on the topic in terms of like a successful DAO and what that looks like and, and what that needs to look like, essentially. Yeah. Um, so on the Tales of Illyria thing, I'm not actually sure. I, I was in one of the spaces where I think the community, maybe it was a Twitter poll or something where they were kind of deciding where they should go. And um, people kind of overwhelmingly jumped up and were like, go to Arbitrum and build alongside treasure, build on treasure. And that's kind of how that came about. The the DAO didn't vote because, you know, building on treasure, we can't stop anyone from doing it. I mean, we hope everyone incorporates magic to some extent. And it's sort of a permissionless world that way. You know, if you want to be part of what we're doing, then, just use the magic token and link into these game mechanisms and economies we've built on chain. And at worst, the DAO just censors you and doesn't put you on the marketplace if it's like um, hateful or, you know, um, if they eventually decide on certain curation metrics. But it doesn't mean you can't participate um, in this economy. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like how Tales of Illyria um, ended up coming over. Um, what was, sorry, what was the second part of your question? I asked from your perspective then in terms of like community voting and oh, how right. that was meant to be run. Yep. Yeah. So we're really lucky. We have a really fantastic community that I mentioned earlier um, was long-term oriented. Um, and we saw that initially where, you know, it worked out that we were asking people to farm with 721s. They had to pay a lot in gas because what ended up happening is our community dropped down to like 50 or hundred people maybe um, who were willing to like show up every day, maybe less than that. Uh, and these people are still here um, and they are in the discord um, giving us thoughts on how to improve, how to make the organization more sustainable. And there's basically no talk of like, you need to do this right now so I can make more money. I mean, it's, it's, it's like um, everything that's happened really has been not only the community, just even jealousizing the project on Twitter. Cause a lot of people just, you know, every project has that, but those people tend to leave when the price reaches a certain point. But these people like see the five-year, 10-year vision are building it with us. Um, so other DAOs, um, just to give a concrete example, you see something like Yearn. Um, Yearn was a fair launch project like Treasure that um, went even more um, meteoric. Um, and their early adopters kind of ruined the project in a significant way early on because um, they really didn't want they wanted this to be the bitcoin of DeFi, and so they were like no there's a max supply and that's just how this is and then the developers had to fight them and say hey we actually need some skin in the game but you know that that early unrest where the early adopters were extracting as much value for themselves as possible um really hurt the growth of that protocol and then we've had the opposite where there's been multiple situations where the community um that got a ton of magic from farming early on could have just put, um, just, you know, use their governance power to extract um, everything they could from this community and then dump their token. Um, but they've done the opposite. I can th 
the three examples I can think of. The first is that um, for the majority of the first year, um, we had 5% royalties on our marketplace. So I think that was about like six months. As I mentioned, we've done about 300 million in volume and um, the community was paying about 5% most of that time, which is a significant haircut. But um, the people trading did that because they understood that they held this DAO token and that's how the DAO was making money. Um, the other example was that um, there's about 80% or set between 75 and 80% of magic that was locked up. Um, and you could, you could earn um, um, interest on doing this or, or earn more magic by locking it up um, even up to a year. And this wasn't insane APY. This wasn't like, um, oh, you know, millions of percent. It was like less than 100% at a certain point. And um, they, you know, the community who owned a lot of this token, rather than just manipulating the price upward and exiting their position, they actually walked it up for, you know, APY that's not um, ridiculous by crypto standards. And then like the third example was that um, we've had a proposal where the DAO voted to start diverting emissions away from bridge world into a grants program. And before that, um, before we iterated on it and decided um, grants and harvesters and things like that, we were actually just going to send a certain percent into other metaverses. But, you know, if they were just totally self-interested short-term thinkers, they would have said no to that because it devalued their legions to some extent. But overwhelmingly they saw that, um, no, the goal here is to grow the pie. And um, yeah, the treasury community, is amazing. It's made up of a lot of like really thoughtful participants that put us where we are today. I think that's really inspiring because yeah, like, like you said, there are a lot of struggles with DAOs where essentially people end up with almost having too much power with the community that doesn't necessarily go the right way. So it's great to see, I think, as an example um, that DAOs can indeed work. It just has to work for the best, um, you know, scenario for the DAO itself and not just individuals in the DAO. Um, I want to kind of maybe steer the conversation a bit more to present day, um, you know, the challenges that we're facing at the moment, the market sentiment and so on. Uh, could you walk us through some of maybe your biggest challenges during a bear market, if any, because I, I tend to get very different responses when I when I ask uh, people this question, but how's the market been treating you at Treasure and, and what's kind of the current uh, ongoing processes or what are you guys up to now that, you know, the market's not super hot, people are not talking about metaverses every single day, uh, but obviously there's still tons of people building behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, it's been fine for us. It's, um, I, I like bear markets. It's quieter. Um, people who are just there for the hype tend to leave, and you know, it. The community discussion is elevated. Um, so in the early days, when we were a very unsuccessful, very small project, and we had a super thoughtful community talking, you know, in a lot of ways, we're returning to that on a bigger scale. But the um, the quality of if dialogue is going up, then we can kind of build. And, you know, I'm, I'm just convinced our thesis is um, correct that NFT tra trading is moving to L2. We're exiting this era of people just flipping um, extremely non-fungible collectibles. And um, it's going to be on-chain economies um, built around fungible items, skins, game assets, um, treasures. And, um, yeah, like, you know, we'll probably see weird stuff happening in the next couple of years where people decide, you know, I don't want to trade an ERC 20. I want to trade, um, an NFT is money and I want to make a meme money and you can't do that on L1. It's uh, too expensive to transfer single token IDs like that. So on L2, you can do all kinds of cool stuff and we're just, um, continuing to innovate. Um, we have 
enough runway for multiple years of our team, and we're still able to um, finance multi-million dollar deals to build an in-house game studio on top of paying our current employees. So there are larger challenges where, you know, um, as I mentioned before, the Arbitrum team couldn't be better at like helping us and um, building an amazing technology. But like Treasure L2 is very young. And so the there's significant friction um, to bringing people to Arbitrum um, and a lot of handholding in the early days. And uh, it's gotten better as the documentation improves. But yeah, I mean, most people don't know what Layer 2 is. They don't really know what Arbitrum is. It's really hard to get to Arbitrum. And um, we're building Fiat on ramp. So, um, but we're okay with that because we're playing a 10-year game and not a one-year game. And um, they're a lot like where we are, um, though they're the superior technologists. Obviously, they're building this incredible um, roll-up solution. But you know, they, they are building something that is going to outlast all of the competition. Um, and we're just going to be alongside them as their technology matures and it's easier for people to onboard. But yeah, that, that realistically, that that's our biggest challenge right now is just, um, bringing more people into the ecosystem. So, I mean, let me ask you this from a perspective of someone that speaks to games all the time. And, and obviously, we get asked the question, which chain to go to? And um, our bias is always towards like what adds the most value to the project. So, if there is a project, let's say, that is, um, I would say, indifferent in terms of uh, which chain they build on, as long as the tech makes sense, what or how or, I guess, when is the right moment to start building or maybe consider um, your ecosystem instead of maybe any of the other competition? Because um, I'm really curious because we do get this question a lot, and especially now as people are looking at, you know, Mutable, people are looking at um, even Ultra in some cases, and obviously Polygon, Solana, and, and BNB Chain. But um, I'm, I'm really curious to hear in terms of like game devs and, and game studios that are looking to build and are looking for essentially uh, an ecosystem and a chain, uh, what's the right time and how can they even get involved? Yeah, I can go through um, without naming um, those other chains. I can kind of go through what I see as the advantage of Arbitrum, um, which is that, okay, first point is like, if you're a successful game, then your core game assets will start um, rising in price significantly. And um, even though people like Nouns and L1 collectors are the ones who think that they are or that they don't think they are the ones who are collecting these things of significant value with a successful game. Like some of your assets will start reaching a level where if there isn't very good um, security assumptions about your chain, it doesn't make any sense. And like you have just sacrificed security for convenience to the point where there is like no upward growth for this thing, because you'd be um, insane to keep a million dollar game item on a chain that's like can be shut down and even rewritten um, or just fall apart and um, like a sidechain can, but a roll up, you know, we're utilizing the security of Ethereum, um, but in much more cost effective ways. And um, so that's one is the security. And the second is that um, like you can actually build better versions of decentralized NFT trading and game trading on layer two. So, Right now in the treasure marketplace on Arbitrum, if you want to bid on an item, you're not like submitting this to some centralized server that, um, and then giving up your ability to execute the trade to some 
other contract, you just put your um, bid on, or not giving it up to some centralized entity, you put your bid on chain. And then when we move forward, and as I mentioned, like we're moving into this era of NFT trading where it's going to happen through liquidity pools, you can do routing between pools on chain. So L2 is going to have better security than L1 soon because as the quantity of items that people are buying goes up um, and the reliance on L1 marketplaces on these um, centralized entities just to facilitate trading like Arbitrum will be better, um, period, just in terms of decentralization, despite um, being on the roll-up. Now, in terms of like um, speed and convenience, it definitely meets all of those um, uh, criteria as well. If you go and look at like how much people are paying in gas now, I think it's like, look the other night, I think it's like four or 5% layer one, and it's only going to go lower. And um, Arbitrum creates the ability, which we are going to do with a treasure chain to make um, uh, almost like a layer three or a polygon like um, layer two. But, um, you know, with Polygon, I said I wasn't going to name things. And it's an amazing ecosystem. They have, like, grown and they picked a product market fit that worked really well. But, you know, they have every kind of ecosystem on their chain. Um, and it's going to – all of these things are going to grow 100x to 1,000x in terms of user adoption. So I just think that the future is probably a very app-specific chain that is – you know, has something like a DAO that chooses um, what is taking up congestion on it. Um, and a good example, I think the people who pioneered this is where I work at Osmosis. They had this vision for doing that for DeFi, but that's what will be true for gaming. Um, so, yeah, like as this has reached a point of maturity and there's the treasure chain and we've built out our DeFi tooling um, and our community, you know, we have this. We have this amazing community and we structured a game economy. A builder will come to us and they'll say, okay, I, I want to use this because the technology is good. The infrastructure is good. Um, you've created this economy where um, new builders can get new attention, not only by us tweeting about them, but we actually can send items um, between worlds and whitelist spots and just unique way of doing treasury and token swaps um, from the team and the community. Um, that's where builders are going to want to go. And um, the last point I was going to make is that, you know, we're exiting this era in NFTs where um, if your project fails, your community will hunt you and make you work on it for the rest of your life, um, which is un it's, it's unreasonable because projects fail all the time. Innovators are not going to succeed. And you're going you're going to want to be part of an ecosystem moving forward, because if a Nintendo title fails, it's not like the end of Nintendo. It's just you move on and hopefully you. The organization is continuing to earn enough revenue to power itself, and that's what our DAO does. So it insulates builders from this these unrealistic expectations of the community, where um, they don't even want to try and innovate because if they fail, um, that's that's it for them as a builder. Um, and you know, this this race to the bottom for royalties, um, people need to be used to be insulated by an ecosystem where they can incentivize their user through. Um, in-game perks and marketplace perks to just continue paying the builders. So, um, yeah, I mean, we were very lucky to launch at a time when an ecosystem like ours could take flight. Uh, but going forward, you either have to build that ecosystem from scratch or you have to join something like ours because the days of like isolated builders and projects is pretty much over for gaming. 
No, I think that's a very fair answer. And uh, I know you tried not, not mentioning names there, but it's okay uh, to drop one or two. I think it's definitely an interesting conversation. And obviously, as we continue to you know grow in the space, uh, I think Web3 Gaming in general and, and all projects that are looking to build, it's going to be a, a much more compelling argument uh, for an ecosystem that can really provide all that value and not just like the basic tech. Because um, I feel like there's there's so much more competition, especially with uh, a lot of people, you know, targeting whether it's grants, funds, um, added kind of user bases through partnerships and things like that. So, uh, solid answer. I do have one more question, but before I let you kind of um, tell us a bit more about Treasure DAO's future plans, I did want to mention for everyone listening in, thank you so much, obviously, for sticking around until the very end. Um, the as promised, the OAT, the on chain achievement token, the NFT that you can claim for attending today's session. Um, is already linked up in the space. And it's only fitting that we put the secret code as MAGIC. So that's M-A-G-I-C, MAGIC. I'll say that one more time, M-A-G-I-C, MAGIC. So, John, back to you. In terms of Treasure DAO and Treasure's, I guess, future plans, uh, could you tell us really quickly what can we look forward to? Because I do also want want to get you to do an outro for us. I, I tend to play around with guests and, and ask them to wrap up the show and, and see who's got the best outro so we can maybe use it in future episodes. But first, tell me future plans, um, and then we'll do a, a nice quick little outro and uh, I'll wrap things up for you. Sounds good? Yeah, absolutely. So the one-year plans would be for Smallville, um, which is going to be our high-fidelity game. We're producing um, uh, with our internal studio. So producing this first title, continuing to grow the number of developers. Um, building infrastructure through the, the marketplace, um, our AMM, and then blending those two to provide um, DeFi tooling to other games. And we're going to build dApps using the innovations we've made. Um, you know, Bridgeworld was a big experimentation in um, novel ways to distribute NFTs, to value them and allow people to farm with them. So we're going to turn our metaverse into um, infrastructure that any, any other builder can use. Um, and then the last piece is just to continue growing the ecosystem, not by providing tooling to people, but, um, you know, through grants, um, through composability. So building more um, frameworks that other builders can use in terms of um, in a, NFT contracts that are, as I mentioned before, not just um, ready to go, but they actually interact with the entire ecosystem off the bat. Um, so, yeah, those are the big things. Growing the DAO internally, growing the DAO externally through partnerships and grants um, and then providing more tooling for um, for this ecosystem to just grow without our involvement. Yeah, I think tons to look forward to. So I'll let you wrap things up for us. But first, let me just remind everyone that if you tuned in a bit too late and you missed out on the conversation, you definitely missed one of our uh, best episodes. I think I, I genuinely enjoyed this the most because it's, it's like every single answer has got you so much more information about stuff that is definitely going to change, I think, the way we think about um, just the ecosystem in general, but also Web3 Gaming and so on. But if you did miss the episode or if you joined in late, feel free to check it out on all platforms, podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and obviously Google Podcasts. With that being said, John, thank you so much for joining us. I want you to kind of just give us maybe your parting thoughts. Uh, it could be treasure related or not, uh, but I want you to kind of wrap things up for us and uh, we'll call it a day. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Um, I appreciate those kind words. I just, I guess I would say to people who haven't heard of our ecosystem before, um, you know, we're, we were a fair launch project. We did this for love of the game. Everything was given away for free. And if this is an ethos that like appeals to you, 
the vision for Magic is that it should go to the communities, the projects, and games that are the strongest over time. And uh, we want to make things where other people can come in and build alongside us. And the goal isn't just to make like this ecosystem bigger. We want to compete with um, companies and business models in the real world that have hurt artists and game developers and even gamers. Um, so we're building what we think of as an economic vanguard where um, we're not only just making things that the community builds and owns, um, we're competing with um, the largest the largest organizations in the world um, to do this in a truly Web3 native way. So if that's something that appeals to you, um, you know, I would love for you to come into the ecosystem and use your imagination to find ways to grow this together. That's a great outro, John. Thank you so much for that. And again, once again, thank you for sticking around to all our listeners. And I think with that, we'll wrap things up. Super excited for everything Treasure still has to offer and we're still yet to see. But John, thank you so much for joining. Thanks, y'all.